Hebrews chapter number three. And uh, before we get into this, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And again, it's good to see you tonight. Lord, again, I just, we thank you, Lord, so much as we've been singing. I love you, Lord. And Lord, we do lift our voice, Lord, truly to worship you. Lord, we have so many people that are on this list, and some of the people on this list are in this room with different things that are that are ailing them, Lord, whether it be physically, emotionally, spiritually. Thank you, Lord, that as we looked in your word last week, the part of the reason you came to earth, Lord, was so you can come alongside of us during our hard times and and just comfort us with your peace of saying, I know, and you experience what we've experienced. And Lord, I pray for your comfort. I pray for your help and guidance in, in people's lives, Lord. And just uh, maybe even a renewed strength tonight, Father, for people that are, that are maybe a little weary in well-doing. And Lord, I just pray you would help us as we look at your word tonight, Lord. I just pray you speak through your word. Lord, I pray you'd make me usable tonight. Forgive me of my sin and self. Thank you so much for being such a great God. Thank you for Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter number three tonight, and I've kind of enjoyed looking in Hebrews in the first few weeks, and I'm not going to really take any time to review, but just jump right into it. Uh, tonight, the sermon is entitled Spiritual Heart Disease, and uh, just to let you know, um, in my family, uh, I am made up, I guess, half Rogers, of course, and half Davenport. That's my mom's maiden name, and I remember when my dad turned 65. That was a huge birthday uh, in his life because he was to our knowledge as far back as we could go he was the first rogers male to reach his 65th birthday and that was because of heart attacks strokes diseases things like that and uh, a lot of it was obviously very self-induced a lot of different things that the people did in their lives that affected and, and shortened their lives because of the way they lived and when i was thinking about that a little bit and studying our passage tonight in chapter number three um, remember that the author of Hebrews, I personally believe it's Paul, but the author of Hebrews is writing to a group of believers that are starting to kind of drift away from the faith, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, and they're really starting to lose focus on Christ. And he even kind of uses some examples in this chapter, which we won't get to everything, talking about how Moses is somebody they look to. In the Jewish faith, you obviously look to Abraham, and then you look to Moses, and Jesus, in the time that we're going to uh, look here, uh, the author says that Jesus is greater than Moses. But the idea of talking about heart disease, and I kind of ran some numbers here on this. It says, to give you an idea, every 30 seconds in our country, somebody dies of some type of heart disease, some form of a heart disease. I mean, I kind of did math, and I know y'all probably scared when I say that. That means 2,880 people will die of some type of heart issue by this time tomorrow i mean that's a pretty astounding number i didn't really believe that in thinking about that and what's interesting about that particular heart disease is that it doesn't care it's not a respecter of persons it don't matter if you're a man you're a woman it doesn't matter if you're black white yellow brown whatever color you want to be it doesn't matter what nationality you're from it doesn't matter what it is but heart disease is such a terrible thing in fact it says it's the number one killer uh, in, in our country today and said, in fact, it said, if you take those who will pass away this calendar year of car wrecks and cancer combined, it still doesn't equal those that'll die because of some sort of heart disease or heart failure. It's pretty amazing, really, when you think about it. And what I want us to look at is this in Hebrews chapter three, 
and the idea of spiritual heart disease. Now, you think about in our country today with this regular physical, you talk about your physical, you want to eat right, you want to exercise, you want to do all these things, you know, you, all those things you need to do to help make yourself be what? We always say, is that heart healthy? We joke around our house whenever we start to eat something we shouldn't. We say, oh, don't worry, that's heart healthy. I know it's a half a dozen of Krispy Kremes, but don't worry, it's heart healthy. You know, we, we joke like that, you know, just to make ourselves feel better, even though we know it's not. But in Hebrews 3, the author's talking about the same thing spiritually. And the reason you say, what do you mean this? Well, I'm saying spiritual heart disease because in this chapter, you see several times where it talks about hardening your heart. Now, I'm going to ask you something because this is written to believers, okay? Uh, and don't raise your hand. But if you ever had some circumstances in your life, whether brought on by yourself or for some reason God allowed it, that really tempted you to harden your heart towards God. I think we all would say yes. We've all been tempted at times because of things either in our control or out of our control through other people or through circumstances of our hearts being hardened. And what I, what I believe I want to see here in this passage is this, is that what does it mean, as we're going to see in Scripture here, to harden our hearts? What does it mean? You say, well, the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Well, actually, no. If you actually read that passage correctly, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It's a little bit different there, and that's a different sermon for a different time. But there's a warning here that the author's given, that be careful that you don't harden your heart. And you say, well, what does that mean spiritually? What does it mean to harden your heart? That means to harden your heart towards God's voice in your life. That means to basically get to the point to where you're no longer hearing God as loudly as you once were, even to the point where you don't hear him anymore. Maybe you've been like that in your life where you've been so sensitive to God, it's almost like God could barely speak and you were just so in tune with God. And then there's been times in your life you feel like God's a million miles away. And the warning here about don't harden your heart. And there's three examples he gives here of ways that we can harden our hearts. And he uses the children of Israel as an example when they were in the wilderness and wandering, but some examples of how they hardened their hearts spiritually in that the first way we see this is giving in to temptation, giving in to temptation. Look in verse number seven of, of chapter three. It said, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if ye will, what? Hear his voice, harden not your hearts. So right there, you see, we have one or the other. We'll either hear his voice or harden our hearts. It says in verse eight, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So one of the ways spiritually that we can harden our hearts is when we give in to temptation. Now, let me remind you of something. Being tempted is not sin. Being tempted to sin is not sin. Because if being tempted to sin is wrong then jesus sinned and we know he didn't sin he was without sin but you remember satan tempted him it's not a point of being tempted to sin is wrong it's giving into that temptation that's why i love Saul, psalm excuse me psalm 1 verse 1 blessed is the man it goes down through there a lot of that deals with temptation and how you deal with temptation in that and like i said it's not this being tempted but it's giving into it and when I give in to sin, here's what I'm saying. You say, well, we sin every day, Phil. Yeah, I know, I do too. But every time I sin, I'm saying I'm choosing something over what God says is not right. I'm choosing something as best when God says, no, that's not the best. 
I'm choosing to do this over that. And a lot of it can be pride. And by the way, I think all sin, by the way, I personally, this is my opinion through Scripture, I think all sin is basically a lack of trust in God. All, all sin. You can look at every type of sin you look at. It's basically a lack of trust in God and God's way and God's plan uh, in that. And so we see here what it say they did. They gave in to temptation. What was the temptation of the children of Israel? We don't want to go into the promised land. There's giants. There's all these things. And they were tempted what? God said what? Go. And they said no. By the way, sometimes giving in to temptation is not doing a sin. It's not doing what we know we're supposed to do. We think sin is always committing this horrible act. But reality, sin is whenever we give in to temptation when God says, trust me here and you go nope i'm pretty safe pretty fine right here and we have to understand that and and by the way there's a lot of people who feel very guilty in their life because i mean i'm just so tempted i'm just so tempted there must be something wrong with me can i tell you there's nothing wrong with you being tempted in fact you being tempted probably shows that you're trying to please god trying to go the right way and those temptations come more and more and more remember in the life of joseph in the in the old testament remember joseph was constantly tempted by who potiphar's wife right constantly tempted it says and she came and begged daily for him to commit sin with her and so we see that part of the way that we harden our heart and it gets harder and we kind of lose a little bit of the the loudness the clarity of god's voice is whenever um, you give in to that temptation it's kind of like this everyone's probably done this. you ever call customer service for something and then there's somebody on the line and i don't know if it's the connection's not right or something's not right and you can't really hear and you're like i can't understand you and what happens it drives you crazy to the point where you just don't want to hang up right i can give in to temptation so much that i allow the hardness of my heart of temptation and giving into the temptation that you know what god's voice i don't understand it anymore it's not clear and i almost just say forget it and go on i'll do my own thing and so we see that another part here in the going through stuff tonight is this another way we harden our heart as we see in verse number 12 take heed he says or beware brethren lest there be any of you with an evil heart of unbelief Ooh. so i can harden my heart by giving in to temptation which may mean doing something or not doing something but also i harden my heart through unbelief unbelief does this it causes us to not trust in the goodness of god but i want to go a step further unbelief sometimes causes us to not trust in the power of god a lot of us wonder sometimes well is god really good does god really want this for me but a lot of times my lack of faith i'm just being honest with you i know god's good and i know god wants what's best in his will and his plan but sometimes the way i live my life and i know confession's good for the soul mighty heart on the reputation but a lot of times i don't fully believe that god's powerful enough to overcome this situation god's powerful enough to to deal with this to get me through this you know what i mean sometimes it's not we're wondering if god's good sometimes i do but i think a lot of times because i realize i'm not powerful enough for the situation sometimes i question if god's powerful enough for the situation again things you don't say out loud but things you think to yourself in that because what did it say it says they take heed lest there be any of you that have a full unbelieving heart by the way people that die and go to hell will die and go to hell because of their sin correct but the ultimate day ultimate part of that is what 
unbelief. Jesus is not enough for my salvation. So when I look at salvation, I can see where unbelief could be so damning to my soul. Imagine as a believer living my life, how unbelief and trusting in God can be so much of a hindrance to my walk with the Lord and God's clarity in my life and God's leading in my life. You know, what does it say when Jesus went? Remember Jesus, you know, he came back to his hometown. And can you just imagine that? He's in his ministry. He's going. He comes back to his hometown. And he gets up and reads as one that has authority. And what did all the people start doing? Man, is, it, is not this uh, the son of Mary and Joseph, Joseph the carpenter? Who is he? And they started to doubt him. And it says in there, and he did not many marvelous works there because of their unbelief. Remember the man that came to Jesus, and I like this part of it, talking to heal my son, cast the demon out of my son, heal my son, and he said, Lord, I believe you, but Lord, help my unbelief. You know what that means? Lord, I believe in you, but help me for the areas of my life I don't believe in you. I don't have strong enough faith. You know, a lot of us have strong enough faith for God to save us. Do we really have strong enough faith for God to provide for us, to God to sustain us, to God to deliver us through the different things? It's, Lord, I believe, but Lord, Help my unbelief. Help me where I'm lacking. And my unbelief a lot of times can really hinder me and harden my heart. The third thing we see here, a way that we harden our heart, is in uh, verse number 13. He said, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you harden through what? The deceitfulness of sin. Uh, you hear the phrase, uh, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. You know, so you ever done something wrong because you just didn't knowledge, give, give yourself enough wisdom and knowledge about the situation? You just kind of jumped in, right? You're like, oh, man, you deceived me. Well, Satan is the master of deception. And a lot of times in our lives, I look at the deceitfulness of sin. We're like, man, this will be satisfying. Man, this will be okay. Man, I can even justify this a little in my mind. But to understand the deceitfulness of sin, I have to understand that I got to keep growing in my faith. Part of the reason I got to keep growing in my faith is because I'm going to be tempted and I'm going to have these things in my life. I've got to, you know, watch out for these things. And I could throw something else in here too this, this way. A lot of the part of the deceitfulness of sin, let's just be honest, is the wrong influences in our life. I tell you, your friends and influence in your life can make you and break you. They can help you during the hardest temptation, volatile points of your life. And they can tip the scale where you just sink and just ride it right on down with them. And you fall into that deceitfulness of that, those wrong influences. Now, we try to re remind people that we're in the world, we're not of the world. That doesn't mean that we sustain it. We, we, we keep away from people that are lost or keep away. Actually, uh, I'll be honest, a lot of times it's not lost people that do the damage. It's people that are Christians <laughs> that are living a life of totally opposite of Christ that we allow to impact our lives. I'm not telling you to walk out of here and don't be friends with people that are lost. Jesus made relationships with tons of people that were lost. But I'm telling you, you've got to really watch the influences in your life because if you're not careful, the deceitfulness of sin will cause you to harden your heart. Kind of like this. No one will probably ever admit this, but we probably all do this. Well, they go to church and they do this too. So that must be okay. Well... I know that's not exactly right, but I'm a lot better than they are, and I know they go to church, they sing in the choir. They do what? Well, I understand that, but, you know, we started, we're comparing ourselves with ourselves, and Scripture says that's unwise to do, and, and, and we've got to be careful of those things. And by the way, what's the, what's the ultimate result of what we call this spiritual heart disease or, or, or hardening our heart descent? It's verses 17 through 19. 
It says this. Remember, he's talking about the children of Israel, and they were in the wilderness because of their sin. Verse 17. But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not? So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. So when I read that, I see the ultimate end if we continue to harden our hearts and, and to these different ways that we've listed here and as the authors listed here, if we keep doing that, ultimately what's going to happen? Destruction. What does it say there? Their carcasses fell in the wilderness. To me, I think it's tremendously sad to think about people that were slaves in Egypt getting all the way to the edge of the promised land that saw God part the Red Seas, that saw the plagues, that had the manna come down from heaven and provide all their food. When they wanted quail, wanted meat, God gave that. When they needed water, it came out of rock. And yet because of their unbelief, guess what they didn't get to do? They didn't get to go in. And the promised land is not a picture of heaven. It's a picture of victorious Christian living. It's a, it's a, it's a picture of spiritual soul rest where you can rest. There's still battles, but there's a, it's a picture of rest. And that's why it says here, it says their carcasses fell in verse 18. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest. That's who the rest of God. So they struggled in the wilderness for the rest of their lives because they wouldn't accept and believe and have that rest that God would give. And I tell you, I see the same thing in my life. And what I have next here is this. It's kind of going along through this. It's, it's, we see that. But ultimately, we, I think we need to understand this. As all human beings, saved and unsaved, ultimately, as human beings, we have two basic needs. Two basic needs. One need is this. We need to hear from God, and we need to go to God. That's basically it. You can pretty much put in a capsule the gospel in two things. Every human being needs to hear from God, and they need to go to God. Let me tell you, you say, well, I'm saved. God didn't speak to me. <laughs> you didn't get saved now. You got saved because that Holy Spirit spoke to you through God's word. Remember the very first verse we looked at in Hebrews? God who at sundry times and in divers manners. That means God used the Old Testament to speak. And what does it say in verse 2? But at this time, at the end time, spoke to us through what? His son. So what as man he sent. We need to hear from God. But we also need to go to God. How many of us know people that could tell you the Bible's backwards and front, know there's a God, believe and hear all these different things, but they don't have salvation. They have heard from God, but they won't go to God. It's kind of like this. People say, well, they know about God. They know about Jesus. They believe there's a God. They believe in Jesus. Isn't that enough? I'll put it to you like this. When I was a kid, and I can say that because my parents went home today. I use my mom as an example. I would go outside and play. And whenever she wanted me to come in, she would call for my name. Philip, come in. It's time to eat. And I'll be honest with you. There were times I actually heard her and didn't go in. Okay, sorry, Mom, if you're listening. All right, didn't go in. Now, I believe it was time to go in. I believe that food was ready. I believe that she had provided all that for me. I believe it was for my enjoyment. And I believe it was really my mother was the one that was calling me. But let me ask you, did I get to enjoy what was prepared? And did I obey? No. See, that's what we got to do. We really try to muddle the water and say, well, I mean, they believe in God. That's enough. God speaks. but We got to go to him. 
We've got to go to him. And a lot of people hear God's voice, but not go to God in salvation. And whew, that's, that's a terrible place to be. And by the way, for that, and I, just, I didn't want to skip past this, and I'm working a little in and out here, but verse number one of chapter three explains what we need as humans, this whole idea that we need to hear uh, from God and we need to go to God. Look in verse number one. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Okay, so you feel? What does that mean? What I'm saying here is that we need to hear from God. Why? So that we can know what God is like, what his purposes are, and what he requires of us. We need a way to God because the idea of being cut off away from God into darkness is a horrible, horrible thing. And understanding to hear from God and to go to God means this. I need revelation from God, but I also need reconciliation to God. And that's what this verse is saying. Look again at the verses. Holy brethren, partakers of what? A heavenly calling. Now you say, Phil, what's the big deal there? Heavenly, because that calling comes from God. It's a calling because it's an invitation that leads us to God. You know why salvation is a heavenly calling? It's because it is God speaking to us of how we can go to God. We can be in heaven with God. And it's a very important thing here for us to understand because this, you think about the Christian life. Ultimately, whether you harden your heart, don't harden your heart, salvation, all that. We basically are a belief and a relationship of what? Hope, right? Hope. We have hope. We have faith in God. And that reason of our hope, that confidence, if you would, is firm because it's not of ourselves. Let me give you an example for that. Everybody in this room is a sinner, right? All of us are probably, everyone in this room is probably a sinner in many different ways. The ways you sin may not be the way I sin and vice versa and all that. So the reason that my hope has nothing based on me is because Jesus covers all of our sins. He covers all of our sins. And, and that's what I want us to understand is, is understand what it says at the end of this passage. Look what it says. It says, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider, and this is what I want us to see, the very end of that verse, what? Christ Jesus. Do you want to know what will help you prevent hardening your heart or spiritual heart disease? Consider Jesus. Now you say, Phil, um, wh what do you mean consider Jesus? Considering Jesus is what we're doing tonight. Considering Jesus is like saying, what does God say about that? It's what we do in Sunday school. It's what we do in Bible study. It's what we do in all these things. Is that you say, well, I think considering Jesus is just something that lost people do. People that are lost. People that are without hope. That's what they do. Well, that's true. But remember, the book of Hebrews is written to Christians. And it's encouraging the Christians, what? To consider Jesus. I heard someone say this one time. They say, and, and talking about this passage, they're like, well, don't all Christians consider Jesus and everything? No. Think about the things you did today. In every decision, every reaction, every thought, did you consider Christ? I have to say, there's a lot of that I didn't. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying that we need to consider Jesus and what we say. Remember what it said back in chapter 2, verse 1, that we would give the more, what, earnest heed or give the most earnest attention why lest at any time the things of god that we know we don't want to let them what slip we don't want to let them drift away and so what the call here is this if we don't want to harden our heart we don't want to drift away from god what we need to do in our life in every situation is consider jesus consider jesus 
in this. And you say, well, Phil, okay, what's the big deal? How do I consider Jesus? Well, Jesus is sufficient. You ever say Jesus is enough? I love verse 1. You know why? Because it shows us how Jesus is enough. What does it say? Consider Christ Jesus. But what does it say Jesus, who Jesus is between there? He's the apostle and what? The high priest. And I say, well, what's that important? It describes Christ because apostle means one sent. One sent to reveal. The high priest means the go-between, the one that sacrifices to bring reconciliation. And to me, that's awesome. Because the reason I should consider Jesus in every situation, every decision in my life, because Jesus is my apostle. He is the one that told me about God. He's the one that reveals to me God, my need of salvation. And he's the one that does that. He reveals it to him. It's kind of like in your life. I'm going to guess more likely God used somebody in your life to help bring you to Jesus, right? Somebody, God used somebody. That was an apostle, one sent, okay? Jesus is our apostle. He's the one that God sent to reveal himself, but he's our high priest because he's our go-between. Because here's a struggle that a lot of them had. They were saved, and they're like, okay, so now I sinned. Now I've got to sacrifice again. Because that was the Jewish custom, right? Every year, that's what they do. They sacrifice and, and, and get forgiveness from God. Next year, sacrifice, get forgiveness from God. And they were really confused later on as we'll study, like, what do we do? I mean, I mean, Jesus died for our sins. I accepted it. Do I have to go back and sacrifice again? No, because of our salvation in Christ Jesus, Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our reconciliation between us and God. And to me, that's an awesome, awesome thing. And that's why it almost reason enough that we should consider him. And I just want to encourage you with that maybe tonight. The reason you don't need to let your heart get hardened is because you need to consider Christ. Think on him, fix your mind on him. You ever kind of feel like in life that you're just constantly getting pulled, almost like magnets, you know, like you're a compass and there's magnets pulling you everywhere? You almost feel like you're getting pulled, you're getting pulled, you're getting pulled, and you almost feel like sometimes you don't even know which way's up, which way's down. Well, what do you do? You know, whenever uh, people that would sail ships and things like that and they'd have storms get turned around, you know what they do? You know what they find? They find the North Star. And they fixed it on that point. And they followed. You know why? Because the North Star doesn't move. The ocean moves. The earth looks like it. You know, everything looks different. It looks like everything's moving. And can I tell you, in your life and in my life, let's just be honest. We are so pulled in so many ways under the water and above the water of life that if we don't consider Jesus and fix our eyes on Jesus, we're just going to be in a tailspin all our life. You're going to try living a day without Jesus. If you're like me, I try that a lot of days. It doesn't work out real good. <laughs> it just doesn't. And, and that's the thing I want to encourage you tonight is this, is that fix your eyes and fix your mind on Christ. And you say, Phil, I don't understand some of the, especially this. There's a lot of things like I get mad at myself if there's things under my control that I goof up on. But I want to tell you some of the things that the hardest for me to deal with and not hardening my heart. I'm just being honest with you. Some of the things that tempts me to harden my heart more than anything else is things that are beyond my control that are tempting me and luring me and begging me to harden my heart to God. Don't be as tender. God must not be right here. And I want to encourage you in those moments mentally, 
those are the times you've got to consider Christ. You've got to fix your eyes on Christ. I mean, I mean, I hate to be too open with you. I think sometimes I'm probably too transparent, just to be honest with you. But I tell you, a lot of my greatest temptations happens right here. I'm just being honest with you. Doesn't mean I can't be tempted in other ways. Doesn't mean I can't be tempted through my ears, through my eyes. I'm telling you, that my biggest struggle in my life is my mental, what about this, what about this, who thinks this, what thinks that. That's where I struggle. And in the midst of that cloud in my own head, I've got to fix it on Christ. What will please him and what will not please him? And then the last thing I want us to see, the other part of it, what is another way that we can kind of help prevent our hearts from hardening is this, is found in verse number 13. But exhort one another daily, why is called today? Can I tell you something that will help you from hardening your heart? Is this idea, help others from hardening theirs. You say, well, how do I do that? How, how, you know, I'm, you say, don't harden your heart, so I'm going to do that by helping others. How do I help others? By, it says in the verse, what? But exhort, that means what? To encourage one another daily while it is today. Can I tell you, the way that you and I can help our brothers and sisters in Christ keep them from hardening their hearts is by encouraging them. I tell you, I, I sometimes, and I, I must, this must be where I, my seat where I'm from, but I hear about things and I see things and, and I hear things in the life of people in our church and people at soccer and other believers. And I tell you, one of the first things when I hear about a struggle or a temptation or someone falls on their face or whatever happens, you know what I think to myself? God, don't let them harden their heart. Don't let this make them bitter. And you know what God, I think, is telling me in this? I can pray for them, and that's great, and I ought to be uplifting them in prayer, but I've also got to be encouraging them. Look what it says. Encourage one another daily while it is called today. You know that part, while it is called today? That's a sense of urgency. I tell you, sometimes I feel my inadequacies as a person, as a Christian, as a pastor, as a father, as whatever. But I tell you, in our lives, the thing that's going to help my heart stay in tune with God is do everything I can through God to help encourage other people not to let it harden their heart. Some of you in this room, you've got stuff happening in your heart, stuff happening in your life, and I'm begging God for God to give you answers, for God to give you help, for God to give you direction. But I want to tell you, one of the biggest things I'm praying is God, don't let this harden their heart. Don't let this make it where they can't quite hear your voice as much as they used to. But instead, make it where your voice is so loud, so clear, it's impossible, impossible to miss. And, and I'll just be honest, sometimes, okay, I'll go ahead and say it. Uh, that's where I, the mental part comes in. Sometimes I see people that aren't going through struggle. They just don't want too much junk in their lives that they can't prioritize correctly. We just too busy sometimes, people, that we ain't got time for God. And we can slide into church and we can slide out of church and feel like we're still in tune with God. But the problem is we got this, 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 this going on. And can he really speak? And if he can, do we really listen? Or do we say, well, I can't do that right now because I got, I just, I want, I want to warn you in that because the problem is that's the most dangerous type because you're hardening your heart without even knowing it. Because you're so busy, you're so consumed with life. And I just want to encourage you in that. 
Make sure that you are still tender to the things of God. Don't let, I just keep reminding myself so many times, there's so much of the things in life that I get so excited about and so upset about that don't really matter. Don't really matter. Ten years from now, probably ain't going to matter. So you got to make sure. And I just want to encourage you in that. And, and I want to encourage you because here's the thing. I want, the reason I want to encourage you, and I don't mean this in a selfish way, I want you to encourage me, and I'll be honest, I need you to encourage me. And you, you probably don't want it sometimes, but you need me to encourage you <laughs> in that. Is, and that's what we got to do. And, it, and you say, well, what matter do we do this? And what matter do we, how do I encourage you? How do, how do you encourage me? And, and I got this underline in my Bible, I mean, underline in my notes, big time in this, the, the way about encouraging you is because the scriptures say the nature of encouragement is that I need from you and that you need from me is this is that you would encourage me and I would encourage you to do one simple thing. Walk in obedience. The best way I can encourage you in your life spiritually, whatever it is you're facing, is walk in obedience. Best way you can encourage me. Phil, just keep walking in obedience. Just keep trusting God. Even when it's hard and even when you don't want to. And can, can we just be honest? Obedience is not always logical. Obeying God is not always easy. Obeying God is not always rational. But I can't tell you this, obeying God is always better. It's always better. And that's how we have to help each other to encourage us in our obedience to God, to hear his voice, to not harden our hearts, to take those steps forward in obedience, to do those different things. And, and like I said, as it says pretty clearly in this passage, encourage one another daily. Why? while it is still called today. There are people in my life, I'll let you know I'm done. There are people in my life, or were in my life, I'll say it like this. I would love to have one more conversation with them that I'm never going to have. I would love to try to encourage them, and I'm never going to get that chance again because of different things in their life, different places of living. Some of them are, have entered into eternity. And he's saying here, encourage, encourage, encourage. Now, by the way, encourage doesn't always mean you do, it's okay. Sometimes encourage means popping me on the rear when I need to get popped on the rear, if you know what I mean by that. Sometimes encouraging me is coming along and holding my hand and saying it's all right. But you know, he says, do it daily. Why? While it's called today. Because there's going to be a day when that's gone. It's going to be a day when it's gone. And, and let's be honest, we all probably can think of people in our life that spiritually have some pretty serious heart disease spiritually. And they're hardening their hearts. And just like with regular heart disease, if it gets worse and worse and worse, what eventually happens to the heart? stops and we don't want people to get that way spiritually where they just get so consumed with bitterness and so consumed with whatever it is that eventually what does god have to do to get their attention break it i know i used the example of plato before great thing about plato is that when it's nice and soft you can tear it open do whatever you want when the plato gets hard the only thing you can do to really get to it is crack it and break it open i tell you something i pray for and I pray in my own life, too, by the way. 
when I feel like somebody is that I know of or I love or, or whatever is kind of struggling and I can see their heart hardening, I, I pray this, God, get their attention, but do it gently. Because I believe God's got the full power and ability to get people's attention. He knows how to, he knows the button. <laughs> but I say, God, do it gently. God, when my kids go away from you, God, bring them back. But God, please do it gently. God, whenever I go away from you or my, my wife or, my, or whatever goes away from you, people, God, God, bring them back. But God, please do it gently. And then that's not enough just to pray. We've got to also go out and encourage to do the same thing. And that's what he's warning here. Be careful that we don't harden our hearts. Appreciate y'all being here. If you will, we'll stand together. We'll close in a word of prayer.